Welcome to the National Community Church Podcast. We're thrilled to be able to share this weekend's message with you. You can find us on national.cc or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Well, good morning, everyone. Before we get started, I have a few things I have to say. Let me get my personal announcements out the way. First things first, happy Father's Day, fellas. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Happy Father's Day. <laughs> He's like, no, don't look at me. Happy Father's Day. Man, kids are, I have three kids of my own. And uh, they gave me my gift yesterday. So God, fathers, you're about to be blown away by the gifts that your kids have for you today. Oh, get ready. Buckle up. Sorry. I love my ba- I love my babies. <laughs> um, it's an honor. We celebrate fathers, all the dads. We celebrate you today. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad. Right, fathers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, secondly, well, you know what? And I'm actually kind of surprised we didn't sing Good, Good Father today at worship. That would have just been. Don't try to love when churches used to do that every Father's Day, just Good, Good Father. Classic. All right. And secondly, I have to say this. Happy Juneteenth, everybody. Today we celebrate freedom in the house of God. We celebrate freedom. So we honor those who have come before us and we celebrate freedom in the house of the Lord today. Listen, guys, I am so excited to be with you all today. And um, like I said, that trailer just really just gets me pumped. I'm sitting there, and then Pastor, the way Pastor Chris and the worship team are just leading, y'all trying to get me start crying before I even come up here. Like, the spirit is moving. And, and as we've been journeying through this series, through the book of Mark, I have just felt the spirit of God just moving in my own life. And when we talk about the gospel of Mark, what are we talking about? What is the gospel? The gospel is good news. Amen? Amen. The gospel is good news. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to all who would believe. Amen. To me, the gospel of Mark, it it feels kind of like one of those amazing high-paced documentaries. Is anybody a fan of a good, like, documentary? Like a good, like, last dance or like, yeah, I see you in the back, brother. He's like, yes, brother, you're with me. That's what the gospel of Mark feels like to me. Things are happening so fast. Jesus is doing things here. He's doing things there. And we are literally getting an eyewitness account, live footage in the text of the amazing things that Jesus is doing and saying. Mark is inviting us into a high-paced episode, as we've been calling it, or a chapter. And he's highlighting something different in the life of a king. Each chapter, he's showing us something new about this man called Jesus and showing us examples from Jesus that we all as believers should take and apply and use in our own lives. I mean, Jesus, he's, he's traveling, he's preaching, he's teaching. He, he's meeting with people from every walk of life. He's healing. He's flipping this world upside down. And we get to walk with him through the text. Man, I, I just love the word of God. Like, does anybody like love, you like love the word of God? Like, what a gift that we have. So, episode one, we have Pastor Mark. He sets the stage and he says, Jesus didn't die to make us, uh, he didn't die to make us safe, but he died to make us dangerous. That was a bar. I don't know, I wrote that down. As soon as I wrote that in my notes, I was like, oh, okay, Pastor Mark, here we go. 
Episode 2 of Pastor Joel, Jesus in the House, a great message. If you haven't watched it, if you weren't here, go back and watch it on YouTube. And here we are, Episode 3, Revenge of the Youth Pastor. <laughs> no, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. That's, that's not my title today. <laughs> Don't let that go over some of y'all heads though. All right. But for real, y'all, each chapter of the Gospel of Mark, it leads me to the thought process of what would Jesus do? Maybe it's because I'm an 80s baby and we remember those, those bracelets, the WWJD bracelets. Anybody remember those? Like I had that bracelet. I had a couple of them, different colors. Like, yeah, it was like a Rolex. Having one of those like having a Rolex back in the day. <laughs> but it leads me to the thought process, like what would Jesus do? Like, like what would he say? How would he respond? Where would he go? What, what would Jesus do? If I'm trying to walk this faith out in 2023, in the modern day, if I'm trying to lead in, in, this, in this world, in this generation, if sometimes I'm just trying to make it through the day, I'm just trying to make it through work, I'm trying to make it uh, through what's going on at home, I'm trying to make it through what's going on uh, at my school or my college campus, if sometimes I'm just trying to make it through, I think that question grounds us. Just to think, what would Jesus do in this situation? And what would Jesus have me do? And I think Mark chapter 3 gives us some answers to those questions. Can we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much, God, for your word. God, I thank you that you are a good father, God. God, I just thank you for your son, God. I thank you for Jesus. God, there's just something about that name. So, Father, we look to you right now, God. We look to you, God. Would your just presence fill this space, God, as we look to your word? God, would you just speak to our hearts, Holy Spirit, right now, God? And when you speak, would we listen and would we give you your yes? Whatever you say to us in these next moments, God, we give you our yes, God. Wherever you would have us go or however you would have us live, God, we say yes today. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So, episode three, here we are. And, you know, I'm just going to do the IMDB work for you guys and introduce you to some of the cast. All right? We have a few characters today. But first and foremost, of course, we have Jesus, the greatest of all time, the GOAT, King of kings, Lord of lords, Savior of the world, the Son of God. And he's the protagonist, not just in this story, but in your story, in my story. He's the protagonist of the story. And in this first scene of chapter 3, we find Jesus in the synagogue, okay, which was a place of worship with the Pharisees. Oh, even when I just said that name, it was like the Pharisees. Everybody just got real quiet, like, oh. You know, as church folk, we don't rock with the Pharisees, right? And y'all know the Pharisees, they didn't rock with Jesus, did it? Like, when you read your Bible, do you get the impression that the Pharisees were like, hey, Jesus, bro, I love you, dog. Let's do lunch. <laughs> no. The Pharisees did not like Jesus at all. But there was also someone else there that day in the synagogue that I want to introduce you to. There was a man, and the text says that he had a withered hand. This man had a condition of either paralysis or uh, of deformity. Maybe it happened in an accident or maybe uh, he, 
he ended up that way because of some sort of disease or maybe it was something he was born with. But regardless, the text says that there was something about this man's hand that had come to be broken and withered. Let's read. Starting in Mark chapter 3, verse 1, it says this. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a withered hand was there. And some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. The Pharisees were sitting and they were waiting. They were like, Jesus, just give me a reason. You just give me a reason. And we're going to accuse you like, ooh, I wish you would, Jesus. (laughs) Sitting there waiting. And they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with the withered hand, stand up in front of everyone. Now, let's just pause right there. Do y'all think that Jesus knew that the Pharisees were looking at him? Oh, he knew. That's why I love Jesus, man. He just did not, he did not care. Like, he, he knew what he was here to do, and he was going to do it regardless. So knowing that all eyes were on him, he says, okay, hey, do me a favor. Stand up so everybody, so everybody in the building can see you. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good? Or to do evil, to save life or to kill. But they remain silent. Jesus in this moment, he silences the crowd. He silences the critics. He silences the haters. And he looked around at them in anger. And he was deeply grieved at their hardened hearts. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And his hand was completely restored. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And his hand was completely restored. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And as he stretched it out, guys, the hand was completely restored. Thank you, Jesus. Mm. Look at the response real quick. And then it says the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians and how they might kill Jesus. What? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, did y'all not just want to sit and process that moment, Pharisees? As soon as you see somebody whose hand was withered and dead and broken, it's healed in front of your eyes. And what do the Pharisees do? They say, you know what? That's it. I'm out of here. We got to kill this guy ASAP. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> uh, this text reminds me of something that I love. Every time I get up here, I like to share a little bit about myself. We're family, all right? So I like to share about some of the things I like to do. And... I'll say this, I think that YouTube is one of the top five inventions of all time. Don't argue with me, okay? I think YouTube, air conditioning, they're like up there. They're up there for me, all right? <laughs> and listen, if you don't agree with me that it's top five, it's probably because you don't have YouTube premium. It's an ad-free experience. It changes everything. I'm telling you, I'm on, I think I'm on my mom's account right now. Mom, sorry. <laughs> And I remember for a while, I had gotten really into these videos. They were lawn restoration videos. Somebody testified with me. Somebody said, yes. Anybody got a lawn restoration video? Yeah. In your history? Now, the the funny thing about this um, is that the fact that I can, I I keep a terrible lawn. Like, I'm terrible at, like, my yard is just, like, in disarray. So maybe that's why. I'm a dreamer, right? We can dream. For a while, I got really into these long restoration videos, and I've never been good at keeping up my mom. But for some reason, there was something like 
therapeutic about watching these videos. To this day, I can sit down and just watch, like, a whole bunch of them. Like, and everyone who lives in D.C., they're looking around like, what's a lawn? What's, what's that? <laughs> a lawn? I'm just joking. I'm sorry. It's, it's grass. <laughs> it's green. It grows from the ground. So I'm sorry if I offended anybody. All right. <laughs> but usually what happens in this video is there's a landscaper who he's driving around a neighborhood. And, and, and he'll, he'll come across a house with a lawn that is in bad shape. The grass is usually three feet high. There's weeds everywhere. The bushes are, have overgrown. And with some of the lawns, there's like huge chunks of just dead areas where all the grass is just withered up and died. The lawn is in bad shape. So the landscaper, he'll walk up and he'll knock on the door and he'll introduce himself and, and he'll say, you know what? I would love to work on your lawn or work on your yard. Would you, would you, would you allow me to do it? And most of the time... This is what happens. The person says, you know what? No, I'm good right now. Um, Have a great day. And just before they slam the door, he says, I'll do it for free. Oh, Oh, that usually changes things. (laughs) Well, in that case, by all means, go right ahead. From then on, the landscaper, who was obviously an expert in this field, he starts to work. And we see everything he does on a time lapse. He cuts the grass to perfection. He mows that grass that was three feet high to its perfect height. He pulls weeds out that have been running wild. He uses the trimmer to straighten out all the lines. He trims the hedges on the bushes. He puts down seeds where there needs to be. He he picks up fallen branches. He fills in the holes. He waters the yard. He treats the yard. And before you know it, that yard that was a complete mess, that yard that, that was just dying in bad shape, it looks as good as brand new. I would even say these lawns end up looking better than they ever have. Hmm. Once the landscaper does the work, he's able to completely restore the yard. Everyone, look somebody, look to your neighbor and say, restore. Now look to the other neighbor too because you ignored one person. Look to the other one and say, <laughs> restore. Y'all said that super serious too. He was like, Restore. Wow, that was like, that was scary for me. Y'all were in it together. Uh, And as we just read, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And his hand was completely restored. I am amazed at the ability of our Savior to completely restore. Our God is a God of restoration. Amen? Amen. And I wonder if there's anybody in the room today, I wonder if there's anybody in the 9 o'clock service online this morning that can look back over your life and say that they had, that God has restored something in your life. I just want to take 10 seconds and just personally, I just want to thank Jesus for 10 seconds for the areas of my life that were dead that he revived. The areas of my life that were withered up and dried up that he revived. The areas of my life that were broken down, but he restored them. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Maybe there was a time in your marriage, a time with your kids, a financial situation, your health. You were losing your mind, your mental health. You had lost your joy. You had lost your sense of purpose. You had lost faith. You had lost hope. And God stepped in and restored. 
He restores. That's what he does. He's attracted to brokenness. He specializes in taking broken things. Our God specializes in taking broken things and bringing restoration. Amen, amen, amen. So when I'm thinking about the question, what would Jesus do? He would restore. And thank God that he did. Mm, We have just witnessed a miracle in the text. We've witnessed a miracle in the text, a miracle of restoration, and the Pharisees completely missed it. They completely missed it. And my prayer for us today, church, is that the things that God is doing, the ways that he is moving, the things that he is saying, the miracles, he's, the wonder-working miracles that he is doing right now, God, that I pray that we would not be so caught up in our religious uh, thoughts and our traditions that we completely miss out on what God is trying to show us. I think there could have been two miracles that day. Not only was that, was that man's hand could have been healed and it was healed, I think that God was trying to heal their hardened hearts, the Pharisees' hardened hearts. Let's talk about the Pharisees for a second. Um, that, that, that word Pharisee means to separate. And they were the legalists of that time. They were the main continual antagonists to Jesus' ministry. They were always button heads with Jesus. Um, as the young people would say, they were Jesus', they were his ops. Shout out to NCC Youth. Y'all teach me all the slang. All right. And the issue that the Pharisees had with Jesus on this particular time was that Jesus was doing stuff. He was doing miracles on the Sabbath. And they were watching him closely to see if he was going to really do this thing. And if so, they were going to accuse him. They were going to use this against him. And the Sabbath, it represented a time of rest and a time where everyone was supposed to cease work. But they had added their own rules to the Sabbath. And it's funny how sometimes religion will do that. But I'm thankful for the grace of God today that when Jesus came, he kind of changed the rules. (laughs) We thank you, God. See, See, Jesus, it was no accident that Jesus healed on the Sabbath. I want you guys to understand that. Jesus Heals on the Sabbath on purpose to show and prove that he is Lord of all. Amen. He wasn't just Lord over that man's body. He wasn't just Lord over that temporary situation in that man's life. He's Lord of the temporal and he's Lord of the eternal. He was Lord of the Sabbath and he showed it and he proved it right then. Jesus would heal on the Sabbath time and time again. Look, that's why I love God's word. Look, look. In Luke chapter 13. He heals a woman who had been disabled by a spirit for over 18 years. And this spirit had left her uh, crippled to the point where she couldn't even walk straight up. What does Jesus do? He heals her on the Sabbath. In Luke chapter 14, he heals a man whose body was swollen with fluid. Ill? All right. I don't even know what that guy looked like, like what was going on there. But he heals him on the Sabbath. John chapter 5, he heals a man who had been disabled for 38 years beside the pool of Bethesda. For 38 years he had been laying next to that pool waiting for his healing, waiting for his restoration. And Jesus does it on the Sabbath. John chapter 9, he heals a man who had been born blind. And he heals him on the Sabbath. In the midst of rules, with his actions, Jesus declares, I am God. I will heal, I will restore. Where I see things that are broken, I will bring restoration, whether you like it or not, Pharisees. 
It's what I do. It's who I am. And with that, after he healed this man with the withered hand this time, the text says that the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians on how they might kill Jesus. Hmm. So we have the Pharisees who are the religious folk. And now we have the Herodians. And these were political folk. (laughs) The Herodians, they, they were political supporters of Herod. And I think it's interesting that the Pharisees and the Herodians, they never agreed on anything. If you look at this tree, like the Pharisees and the Herodians were always at odds. But on this one issue, on the issue of stopping what Jesus was doing, they joined forces. Huh. That's a whole other sermon. <laughs> but here we see in the text, religion and politics join forces against the king. Hmm. And after looking around at them with anger, he was grieved at the hardness of their hearts, and he told them, he told the man, stretch out your hand. See, the problem was they were zealous for religious tradition, but they remained insensitive to the man's need. I'll say it again. They were so zealous for religious tradition, they completely ignored that that man had a need. What would Jesus do? I think the text shows us that he would be sensitive to the needs of others, to the needs of this world. This world is in desperate need of a savior. This land is in desperate need of healing. This world is in desperate need of Jesus. Will we never be so caught up in what goes on in these four walls that we miss out that God is concerned with the needs of this world? This world needs Jesus. As we keep reading through the text, we read in the chapter that after this, a crowd had started to follow Jesus and he had healed many. So Jesus is just going around and he's healing. And in verses 11 through 12, chapter 3, we see him even exercise authority over demons. And in verses 13 through 19, we see him call the 12 and he gives them some specific things to do. And I want to start reading in verse 13. And it says this, afterwards Jesus went up on a mountain and he called out the ones he wanted. Everyone say called out. out. Oh, we need to do it. He called out. There we go. There we go. And he called out the ones he wanted to go with him, and they came to him. So he calls the the 12 out, and they actually listen, and they go to him. Then he appointed 12 of them and called them his apostles. They were to accompany him, and he would send them out to preach, and he gave them authority to cast out demons. And these were the 12 he chose, Simon, James, and John. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, Thaddeus, Simon, Judas, the Iscariot, who would later betray betray him. But he calls these guys up and he gives them a couple of things to do. And I think that as we look at the role of the 12, I think that God is calling us to these same things. The first thing he called them was to simply to be with him. Jesus called the 12. He's calling you to be with him. When I say that, he's calling you to a relationship with him. Can I encourage you today, this week, can we be intentional with how we invest and how we pour into and how we dive into our relationship with Jesus? 
like to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who completely like changed our life or at least wants to, the one who turned everything around. He wants a relationship with us, which is sometimes mind-boggling to me that 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 type of God wants me to have a relationship with him. So he calls them to a relationship. He calls them to preach and proclaim the message of Jesus. He commissions them like, this world, this world needs the gospel, it needs good news, and he calls them to preach it. Can I just shout out NCC Youth real fast? And I want to ask you guys to be praying. We have, yesterday we sent out a, a team. We have about 11 youth, 11 students who have gone down to Jackson, Mississippi on mission to proclaim the name of Jesus, to step into the world of people in need. Yeah. They're doing it. They're doing it. They're not just hearing about it, but they're doing it. He calls the apostles, he calls the disciples to proclaim the name of Jesus. And last but not least, he gives them authority. Can I just tell somebody today that if you have Jesus, you have authority in this world. Do you know that? You have authority. I don't care how old, I don't care how young. If you have the Holy Spirit living in you, you have authority to walk and move and and be in this world and be able to navigate situations like Jesus did with confidence and authority that comes from God. Amen? Amen? He called them to relationship. He called them to proclaim the gospel. And he called them to authority. The Greek word we translate as church in the New Testament is ecclesia, which literally means the called out. You, the church, you have been called out to these things as well. This community of people who have been called out of sin and death into life on purpose and promise in Jesus, you've been called out and you've been called to something. Church family, we're called to it. This world needs a church that actually has been with Jesus. Let me say it again. This world needs a church that's actually been with Jesus. And I'm not just talking about our way. We come in and we sing two songs. We listen to a 15-minute message. We leave. We maybe get some of those delicious donuts from the donut truck. All those things are great. But what this world needs is that people who have been at the feet of Jesus. This world needs worshipers who will lift up the name of Jesus. This world needs people who are connected to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And they have authority, they have confidence, and they're going out and they're seeking the lost. They're going out and they're impacting the people who are in need. This world needs you to be with Jesus. This world needs you to preach the gospel. Can I push this for a second? I know a lot of times we say, you know, just live your life and the gospel will shine forth. And yes, that's all. We have to live like the, our lives have to look like the gospel, correct? Yes. But can I encourage you to open up your mouth? Can I encourage you to open up your mouth and speak the name of Jesus? Speak about the deeds of Jesus. What has Jesus done in your life? Can I encourage you to share with somebody your testimony, how you were, uh, you were dead and now you're alive, how you were withered and rotting and Jesus turned your life around. Can I encourage you? I know we're not all extroverts. I know we all don't like to preach in front of you, but I'm begging you. God is calling you to share the good news. We have good news. When, hey, when I get good news, I love to share it. <laughs> I love to share it. Would that be the spirit and desire of this church? And then could we walk in authority? Could we walk with our, could we not walk around like we've been crippled for 18 years? But could we walk 
head up, shoulders back with authority. Because we know who's with us. We know who fights our battles. We know who we represent. We represent the name of Jesus. Listen, there was nothing spectacular about the, the 12 that he called. We got some fishermen. We got, we got tax collectors. We got zealots. But God will use ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. If we keep reading in the text, go down to verse 20. It says this, one time Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather again. And soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. Verse 21, when his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. When his family heard, right? And they said, he's out of his mind. His own family said, he's out of his mind. Like, we walk around like we have a lot going on. Like, is anybody, like, I got a lot going on. I would say I have a lot going on. Anybody else? Yes? Oh, none of y'all got nothing going on. <laughs> this whole section, y'all have nothing going on. <laughs> Listen, but in this one chapter, we see that Jesus had a lot going on. He had religious folks after him, trying to kill him. He had political folks after him, trying to kill him. He had crowds and crowds of people following after him, chasing him. He was encountering demons. One of his closest friends was going to betray him. And after all that, we read that his family, his own family, was thinking that he was out of his mind. As I read the text, I'm thinking, like, how did Jesus hold this all together? Like, how in the world, like, I'm just trying to navigate this little stuff that I got going on. But how in the world is he holding it all together with all that he had to navigate? Here's how. He was empowered to live the way he did by the Holy Spirit and by staying close to the will of God. Last verse I'll read. Last verse I'll read. And you guys can start coming up too. In verse 31, the text says, Then Jesus His mother and his brothers came to see him, and they stood outside and sent word to him to come out and talk with them. And there was a crowd sitting around Jesus, and someone said, your mother and brother are outside asking for you. And Jesus replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he looked around all those who were around him and said, look, these are my mother and brother and sisters. Anyone who does the will of God. Anyone who does God's will, anyone who does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. Jesus prioritized his relationship with those who have submitted themselves to God's will. Jesus would have us prioritize our relationships with those who have submitted themselves to the will of God. In order for us to navigate the areas and avenues of our lives, in order for us to keep our mind, in order for us to move how God would have us move, we have to submit ourselves and seek out the will of God. There's no other way. I can't be the only person who's tried to do it on my own before. There's no other way. I don't have the power to do it. I don't have the common sense to navigate all the mess that this world brings. We need to be connected and submitted to the will of God. And I'll close with this. God wants to restore somebody in this room today. He wants to restore you so that he can use you. God wants to restore your joy, somebody in this room. The thing that you've been living with and saying, God, you can't restore that. 
This has been with me for way too long. It's been with me for 38 years. It's been with me for 18 years. This family situation, it's irreparable. My marriage, it's broken. It's unfixable. My children, I've been praying for so long and nothing's changing. This area of my life, I wonder if anybody's given up today. But I just want to encourage and say to you that God can restore it. God can restore it. He can. To the person today who's thinking, I'm too broken. God can't use me. I've messed up too much. I've done too much. God can't use somebody like me. Guess what? He can. And he wants to. God is restoring hearts all around the world right now. Hearts to believe again. Hearts to trust again. Hearts to have faith again. God, would you restore us from the inside out so that we can be with you, so that we can tell the world about you, so that we can walk in authority in every area of our life. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I believe that someone is going to be restored while we're worshiping today. In the midst of worship, God is going to restore. And as I pray, I just want to open up the altars. And maybe you coming down to the altar today as as a sign from you saying, you know what, God, I'm going to stretch out my hand. God, I'm going to stretch out my hand. I know I'm incapable. I know I don't have the know-how, God. I know my faith may not be there right now, but as a sign of stretching out my hand, God, I'm going to come to this altar. I'm going to worship you, God, and I'm trusting that you can completely restore. So we thank you, Jesus. We give you glory. We give you honor. What a mighty God we serve. We praise the name of Jesus, God, who came and he restored. He did the work, God. He did the work. He did the work. And we thank you, God. Heal us, God. Restore us. In the mighty name of Jesus.